We have been reading through and studying through the book of Acts, and I am so excited about this message today. Um, We're talking about praying for boldness. We want to be a people who pray for, did it again, boldness. We're okay. All right. I know you just got seated and got comfortable, but I want you to read with me. Uh, a section. So I do want to invite you to stand with me. We're just going to read a portion of this chapter now. And then as we preach, we'll, we'll go through the whole uh, a, a bulk of the chapter. So uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 4. Pick up with me uh, at the end of, the, well, at verse 23. Let me tell you what's happened up to this point. So Peter and John, if you remember last time... Um, they, they, they went to the, the temple and they came across a man who'd been lame from birth. Forty plus years he was lame and they healed him. The Lord healed this man. Well, uh, that drew a crowd, right? This guy who'd been lame all those years begins to dance and shout and sing and a huge crowd gathers. And Peter looks out at the crowd and he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus. Well, what we find is not everyone loves that message. You know, not everyone loves the message that you're a sinner, but Christ came to save you. There are some, we'll, we'll read in a moment, who believed, many, actually thousands, who believed that message. But then there were some who not only rejected it, but came hard against it. They actually took Peter and John and arrested them. And the next day they, they brought them on trial. They had a, a, a huge conversation. We'll talk about that. And then they released them. And Peter and John went back to their church family. And this is how they pray. So the scripture we're reading right now is their prayer. All right. I want you to look with me at Acts 4, 23 uh, and for a few verses. The Bible says when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your words with all boldness. And while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Lord Jesus, today, as we read your word and we are inspired by your people. 
who are gathering together, praying with confidence, praying with courage, and praying, Lord, for you to give them the boldness to continue to speak the gospel. Lord, we're inspired by that. And I pray, God, for this church family that we would pray with boldness and pray for boldness for the glory of our King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So I told you last time there's a a section of, of the Scripture right here, a few chapters, where the focus verse is Acts 4.12, and I challenge you to memorize it. I don't know if you've done that yet, but I want to invite you to um, uh, really hold yourself accountable to memorize this one verse, all right, one verse. So let's say it together. Can you look at the screen with me and just say this aloud with me? Try to get it in your heart. This is Acts 4.12. It says this, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven Given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the message that Peter and John were proclaiming even at the risk of their own lives. This right here to them and to us is worth dying for. That verse was enough to get them killed, and they were not ashamed to say it. I wonder about us. This morning, I think we probably need to learn to pray for boldness. I talk, we talked last time about what it means to pray and to speak and to do things in the name of Jesus. I want to just repeat that idea because I want us to get a hold of what it means to, to speak and to pray and do things in Jesus' name What we said last week is that means we are doing things and speaking under his authority, by his power, and for his glory. That's the understanding we've come to through the scriptures of what it means to to go in the name of Jesus, or to pray in the name of Jesus, or to speak and preach in the name of Jesus. It means to do it under his authority. Like, I'm not going to venture out and do, go rogue and do my own thing. I'm going I'm to be under his authority. I'm not trusting in my own power. Like, I know if I walk by a lame man, I have no power to lift him up. But I'm going to do something in the power of Jesus. I'm going to say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And on Thursday nights, we celebrate recovery meets. And we stand here and talk to someone and we say, you can be free from your addiction. How? By the name of Jesus. Right? It's not, it's not by our power. It's not by Stephen and Lou's power. It's by the power of Jesus' name. You can be set free. Miracles still happen. Amen? Yes. By the power of Jesus' name. None of us in these hands is no power here. But in His name, there is all power. Amen? Yes. So under His authority, by His power, and here's the catch, for His glory. If we start doing things that people are like, man, look at those guys. Look at what they're doing. And we kind of go, yeah, look look at what we're doing. That's trouble. It's trouble. It's not gospel. We function under his authority, by his power, and for his glory. We want to be a people who make much of our king. So it's all about Jesus. Not about us. 
Not about you. It's all about Him. That's what we mean when we say in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. So what I want us to do is to take a quick overview of this text. A quick read through and look at this passage. So you're seated. I didn't want to make you stand as we read the whole chapter. But I... I don't want to miss the details. I want you to get it in you. So I do want to read a section and then we'll talk about it. And then a section and we'll talk about it, okay? So look with me at chapter 4, verse 1. Peter is still preaching the message. And as he's preaching, the opposition come and, and grab him. Right? I want you to get that imagery in your mind. While he's preaching to the crowds in the street. Somebody's got him by the clothes and they're pulling him off. Let's read it. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, probably a bit of an understatement, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now get it. Why, why the persecution? Why the attack? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming, you can be raised from the dead in Jesus' name. That's what they were proclaiming. Hope for life after death. It's the gospel. And they're being arrested for it. Verse 3. And they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired of them, By what power? Or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't miss that. (laughs) Necessary peace right there. Filled with the Holy Spirit. He said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with who? Jesus. So what I want us, number one, I want you to see their passion. I want you to see their passion. Peter and John are bold. Get the picture here. They're standing before the very same accusers. 
The very same group that just a couple of months earlier Jesus stood before. A couple of months earlier they were accusing Jesus of blasphemy and all kinds of heretical teaching. And he stood silent as a sheep before its shearers. He stood silent and he ended up suffering and dying at the hands of these men. And Peter and John, who were there that day, Peter especially, was nearby. Luke actually says, and I love this little detail because it, it, just the way he words it is important. Luke actually says, and Peter was following Jesus at a distance. Have you ever followed Jesus at a distance? It's not a good place to be. Jesus was arrested and being dragged before this council. These men were going to put him on trial and eventually be his murderers. And Peter was sort of following at a distance. And right outside where Jesus is on trial, Peter is warming his hands by the fire. And if you remember, one of three times he's asked if he knows Jesus. A little girl asks him, hey, I know you. Aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter actually cusses. He's like, heck no. I'm not one of them. He's denying it to save his own skin, right? Because he's thinking, if they're going to do that to him, if I'm associated with Jesus, I'm going to be in trouble. And here now, just a couple of months later, everything is very different. Peter, who's ashamed and timid and scared and all about saving his own skin is now standing before the very men that Jesus stood before with all boldness and with great passion. And he looks them in the face and he says, I'll tell you how this man was healed. It's by the name of Jesus Christ, the one that you killed, but God raised from the dead. If we can't see the power of transformation in Peter, we're missing it. Something's happened in him. Something has changed in him. He's no longer afraid. He's bold, he's passionate, and he's clear with the message. There's been a change. I want us to see their passion. Peter and John are bold. But it wasn't because they were smarter. It wasn't because they had better schooling. It wasn't because they were more sophisticated. It wasn't any of those things. In fact, these guys that have got them on trial, they actually say, the Bible says in verse 13, that they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. So I want to tell you that boldness and passion is not from your education. It's not from your sophistication. Boldness and passion only comes from being with Jesus. That's what the scripture tells us here. This boldness and passion. We're not just talking about how he got loud. We're talking about how he's willing to die for this message. That only comes from being with Jesus. Even these 
religious elite can see it. The Bible says that they recognize that they had been with Jesus. We're not talking about pre-death Jesus. We're talking about resurrected Holy Spirit empowering Jesus. They had been with a living Lord, a living King. I want us to see their passion. Um, I think I may have put this in your notes. But I would like for you to look also at, um, it's not actually in your notes, but look also at the testimony of the lame man, just quickly, because the lame man is sort of the, um, he's kind of in the background, but he's an important player in the story. So the first time we see the lame man is in chapter 3. In verse 2, the Bible says, A lame man from birth being carried, and he's laid daily at the gate. But look down now in verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8. Here's the description of that lame man. It says, and leaping up. So we have a lame man who's leaping for joy. And then in chapter 3, verse 11, as Peter is preaching the gospel... In chapter 3, verse 11, you'll see this detail. The lame man, he clung to Peter and John. And what I'm saying is he's clinging to hope, leaping for joy, clinging to hope. And then now when they're on trial, the lame man, verse 14 of chapter 4, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them. So listen, he's leaping for joy, he's clinging to hope, and he's standing for the truth. Isn't that awesome? This lame man who's sort of a background character, but he's the reason all of this has happened. He's been transformed from the outside in now. He's been healed in the legs, and now I believe he's been healed in the soul. Right? So he's been, been physically healed by Jesus He's hearing Peter preach this gospel message, clinging to that message. And now he's standing with Peter, willing to suffer for the truth of that message. Leaping, clinging, standing. It's powerful. See their passion. Do you want to be bold like this for Christ? Do you want to be passionately bold like this for Jesus? How does that come to you? It's not through education or sophistication. It's just from being with Jesus. Don't miss that special time for you to get in this word and get on your knees every day and get with the living Lord Jesus. Let him transform you from shy, timid, scared you to bold, passionate, loving, fearless you. He did not give to us a spirit of fear, but of power and love, sound mind. Secondly, I want you to feel their persecution. So we see their passion. I want us to feel their persecution. Um, first thing I want to say is that persecution is not any and all suffering, right? I mean, uh, if I made fun of Philip for his haircut today, that's not persecution, right? Philip, I like your hair, by the way, but it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to punch me in the kidney when we leave. Um, that's not persecution, right? Just 
uh, suffering, making people make fun of you or whatever. Persecution specifically is opposition that comes against you for standing for Christ. It's opposition that arises because of devotion to Christ and because of the message of the gospel. That's what persecution is. So here we need to feel their persecution. These apostles are arrested. Chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, the Bible says that they are arrested for preaching the resurrection from the dead. They're arrested for, for proclaiming to others that they can have hope for life after death in Jesus. Secondly, they are interrogated. They're brought on trial, to stand on trial, to be pressured into saying something against the gospel. They're interrogated. It happens all the time in today's world. I don't know if you know it, but in many countries and even in this country, I remember the story of Columbine High School. A little girl was held at gunpoint and at gunpoint was asked if she would deny Jesus Christ. That's interrogation with the pressure of the fear of death. That's persecution. She was bold that day because she was unwilling to renounce the truth of the gospel. She said with a gun to her head, I have nothing to fear because my Jesus raises the dead. She proclaimed the resurrection in spite of persecution. So they were interrogated about how this man was healed, and they were bold. He was healed by the name of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, they were warned, charged, and threatened. Those are the words that Luke uses about this persecution. They're warned, they're charged, and then they're threatened to never speak or teach in the name of Jesus again. Their threats, just so you know, are not against them as people. See, persecution really isn't personal. The minute you deny Jesus, it's all over. Persecution is about the message of the gospel. And I want to tell us today as a church, it's worth dying for. And it's worth living for. I think so many of us would say, well, yeah, I mean, I would die for Jesus. The bigger question is, will you live for him? The threats and persecution are against the message, which is there is salvation in no other name. That's the message. That's why I want us to memorize that church is because it's the, it's the core of the gospel. You see, our world today wants us, to, wants us to offer hope in all these different ways. It wants us to be really pluralistic and really open-minded and really, you know, you can get to God in any of these ways. Just choose whichever one's fitting for you. You just speak your truth. Garbage. There's only one truth and His name is Jesus. And that message... The day's coming where that will get you in trouble. You better begin resolving today to be firm on the hope of the gospel. There is no other hope, only in Jesus. 
The gospel is not a popular message. It probably will never be trending on Twitter. It is not popular. But here's the message of the gospel. Here it is. Listen, there is evil in this world. But it's not out there somewhere. It's in you. That's why it's really an unpopular message, to be honest. This is the point where people can't swallow that pill. Because what we want to believe is that there's evil out there. I know it's evil. There's evil out there. But I can be the hero in this situation. I can fix it. You see, the world has it totally backwards. (laughs) The evil is in here. The evil is that we are broken. That's what... Peter looks boldly at his accusers and he says, I'm telling you, we healed this man in the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. That's that's really pointed guilt. The evil of sin is in you. It's not out there. Only. But we want to think and the world wants to tell you that there's evil out there. And if you just look deep inside you, you can find the strength to fight against it. And that's totally backwards from the gospel. It's totally backwards. The gospel says there's evil in you. And if you look to God, Jesus can fix it. That's the hope of the gospel. Salvation doesn't come from within. It comes from Jesus. Our biggest problem is ourselves. And that's the toughest pill of the gospel to swallow. Is to know that you will never be your own hero. You will never save yourself. The truth is you are your own worst problem. You need a savior. You need a rescuer. And it is not you. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the rescuer. He's the only one qualified to save you. You see, he did not have the same internal evil that we have. I have a mother and a father, and both are sinners. And I was born with that DNA. Jesus, on the other hand, has God for his father. He does not come to this world with the same internal problem that we have. And not only did he not have the internal problem, but he was not affected by the external influences of this world's sinful nature. Right? So he did, he did not get drawn into sin. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 that he was tempted in every way, just as you and I are, yet without sin. That's the beauty of the gospel is that our hero, our Savior came to be one of us, but he's the best among us. He's the, the one God intended us to be. And he came that way so that he could die in your place. You see, you have to to die for your sin unless someone dies for you. But as much as I love you, I can't die for you. Because I have the same problem you have. We both need a Savior. His name is Jesus. He's the hero of the story. He came to save us, but our evil rejected him. This scripture, Peter says, he is the stone the builders rejected, but he has become the cornerstone. I want you to get the beauty of that imagery. Now, there's a lot we could say there, but we don't have time for that this morning. I just want you to know he came to save, but we rejected him and we killed him. 
But listen, that was God's plan. This is why it's amazing is that God is sovereign even over your evil. God is sovereignly in control even over our evil will. Listen, Jesus died because of evil men. But that's that's true. That's not the only truth. Jesus died because of a holy God. And Jesus rose from the dead and is still working for the salvation of the lost. People can be saved by trusting in the person of Jesus. That his death on the cross satisfied God's wrath against sin. And that he rose from the dead proving that he is the true savior of the world. This is the hope of the gospel. But the world hates this message. And I'll tell you why. I want you to listen real carefully. Our world hates this message because we don't get to, we don't get to be the hero in the story. We really love the idea of being our own hero and our own savior, but that's not the gospel. You cannot save yourself. You need a savior. His name is Jesus. So we we feel their persecution. Suffering and persecution are to be expected for Christians. Jesus said this. If they hate me, they'll what? Come on, y'all talk to me. If they hate me, Jesus said, they're going to what? Hate you. Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted. For they will inherit the kingdom of God. He said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. Jesus was prepping his disciples all along the way for this kind of persecution. You're going to have to stand boldly in the face of potentially your own death. Be bold. Be bold, Jesus says. And then Paul writes in 2 Timothy, listen to this. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. Who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So how can we prepare and brace for challenges and commit to stay faithful to the gospel message? How? Here's how. We pray for boldness. We pray for boldness. I want to walk quickly but intentionally through this last um, section of the message. Listen to their prayer. I really want to encourage you guys this week, church, spend time in the scripture on this prayer. There's so much here and so little time this morning to cover it all. So here's what I want us to do quickly. Notice who is praying. Notice who is praying. Peter and John have just come from a really serious trial. They run to their friends and they come to their friends, the church that's just come to faith in Christ. There's like thousands of them, but they're, they're gathered here maybe with a small core. And they're like, guys, the elders and chief priests and all them, they just told us we can no longer preach in the name of Jesus. But notice who is praying. The Bible says, when they heard it, they lifted their voices. Who's they? The church. The church. Listen. How do you endure suffering as a Christian? Alone? No, you need the body of Christ. 
come and come into the fellowship and say, I've had a tough week. I've come against opposition, against the message of the gospel. I had a chance to share the gospel, and now people are hating on me at school, or this or that's happening. We need to be able to go, hey, let's lift our voices in prayer. Let me pray over you. Oh, sovereign Lord. So in light of this, notice to whom they pray. Sovereign Lord. Why would that encourage somebody who's just endured heavy persecution? Because if God was in control of Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection, is He in control of yours? Yes, He is sovereign over it all. Sovereign Lord. This God is the creator and sustainer of all things. He's in control. He's got this. You can be confident. You can trust Him. He's got it. Your struggle is not beyond His sovereignty. Did you hear that? I'm not sure you did. Your struggle is not beyond His sovereignty. I think we need to hear that. Whatever your struggle may be, it's not outside of His control. So we notice who's praying. We notice to whom they pray. We notice when they pray. The Bible says immediately they lifted up their voices. Right then, they prayed first. They prayed first. Church, let's make this a habit. When somebody comes in with a problem, let's don't just sympathize and kind of help them rationalize. Let's actually say, hey, let's take that to God. That's awesome. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord. Let's just... Let's just go with our conversations to Him like He's there. Because, you know, He is. Sovereign Lord. It's, it's not our, prayer is not our last resource in battle. It's our first line of offense. So we notice when they pray, whom they pray. We notice the truth of their prayer. This is powerful, you guys. Um, and this is where... Studying God's word brings such power to your prayer. A lot of people want to believe and want to think that if you have the Holy Spirit, you really don't need doctrine. You really don't need to know a whole lot of theology if you have the Holy Spirit. But that's not the way these these apostles, these disciples, this church prays. Here in this prayer, we see the doctrine of creation. Look, Um, when they heard it, they lifted their voices And said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. The doctrine of creation. Here in this prayer, we see the doctrine of the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. The very next thing they do is they say, uh, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Listen to that. That's teaching us who actually wrote the Psalms. The Holy Spirit wrote it. David may have penned the words, but they came from whom? The Holy Spirit, every word in this book is like that. That's the doctrine of God's inspiration of Holy Scripture by the voice of His Holy Spirit. We see the doctrine of God's sovereignty right here in this text. You see, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and other peoples. And listen, listen to this verse. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do you hear that? 
Even the voluntary evil of these men is not outside your plan, O oh God. They may have voluntarily done those evil activities, but you sovereignly planned it to happen. It's the doctrine of God's sovereignty right in the middle of prayer. Then we see, we see also um, this quote from the Old Testament. Hunter read from Psalm 2. This is Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord, against His anointed. Well, who is His anointed? Jesus. So what we see is the Christocentric, that's what that means, Christ-centered fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The Old Testament prophesies, who's it about? Jesus. When Psalm 2 writes, why do the nations rage against your anointed? These guys are going to pray with the realization that the nations are raging against the anointed Savior, Jesus. This is powerful. And if we want to pray with power, we need to pray the truth. If we want to pray with power, the Bible says we worship this way, but we pray in spirit and in truth. We pray like these guys are praying. So I want to give you three pointed admonitions. And I'll finish with this this morning. I'm fighting with this thing. Next week I have my table back. All right. Three pointed admonitions. I want to encourage you with these things. I'm going to just hit these quickly. First, pray with perspective. Pray with perspective. You say, where where do you get that? Peter and John have just been attacked. Right? They've just been threatened, warned, charged. You don't ever preach in Jesus' name again. I better not hear that word again. If I do, you're going to face the same fate that your precious Jesus did. Peter and John say, hey, whether it's right for for us to do that in between you and God, you know, if we're going to obey God or you, we're going to obey God. Um, but that's for you to judge. That's how they respond with boldness and yet respect. But they leave that meeting and they're set free and they go back to their church friends and they gather and they're like, you won't believe what, what they said to us. They threatened us, da 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 da. And the people gather around and they go, listen, sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the fish. And if Peter and John are listening, like, why are we talking about the fish? Like, birds of the air and the fish are not really, you know, pertinent to this moment. And the body of Christ is like, you got to get some perspective. God is outside of your little emotional moment. He's much bigger. He's created everything. He's in charge over everything. You think he's missing it on your little moment? Pray with perspective. He's got you. Pray in light of God's providence. In light of God's providence. Listen, I think sometimes when we get on our knees and our emotions are high and we're struggling, we're afraid, we're fearful, we just, all we can do is talk about how we feel and this this thing or that thing. Remind yourself. Preach to yourself. Pray the truth of God's providence. Lord, 
If you anointed the suffering of my Savior, and you worked it for your glory and my good, then I know you can work out this problem. I trust in you because you are provident. You have providential care over everything. I know you see what's going on. And I know you're good. We pray in light of God's providence. And lastly, we pray for God's purposes. What do they ask for in this prayer? Do they say, Lord, they've threatened us. You squash them. Just go kill them. Do they pray that way? No. I mean, sometimes we want to, right? No. That's not the way they pray. They pray according to God's purposes. They say, Lord, look upon their threats and give us what we need to be bold with the message of the gospel. Help us to be bold with the gospel. We pray, God, for your purposes, which we know is this, that Jesus be glorified in all nations. So pray for God's purposes.